we explore the rich legacy of the Wachipi at the University of South Dakota. From SDPB, today is Tuesday, February 20th. This is In the Moment. Coming up this hour, we meet students planning and hosting the annual gathering in Vermilion. We'll talk about the five-decade history of the Wachipi. If loneliness can shorten your life, social connection can extend it. Dr. Andrew Ellsworth discusses how to know when isolation is impacting your health. Plus, what did you love about school? Our teacher talk conversation explores the routines, the friendships, and the learning that lays the foundation for academic and, yes, social success. That's coming a bit later in the hour. We're broadcasting live today from SDPB's Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls. I'm Lori Walsh. You're in the moment. News is first. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Earlier this year, credit card skimmers were found in two Rapid City Walmarts. These devices steal information from consumers, but they can be kind of hard to spot. There are, however, ways to protect yourself and your information. Jesse Schmidt is vice president of the South Dakota region for the Better Business Bureau, and she has stopped by our SDPB Kirby Family Studios for an update. Hey, Jesse, welcome. Welcome. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm happy to have you. Now, um, we buy things so quickly and reflexively now that sometimes I go home and I'm like, what did I do today with my money? Like I have to remind myself to slow down and pay attention to my purchases just to see what I spent. Also to make sure you're protecting your information. So we're going to slow down. Yes. <laughs> right. We are in a Almost a cashless society, right? Yeah. Even our kids, young kids, have cards that they use on a regular basis. And these credit card skimmers are not anything new. But across the country, we have seen the rise of them in retail locations. It used to be that we would see these mainly on gas pumps or ATMs. But um, over the last oh, few months... Big retailers like Walmart, like other major grocery chains across the country, um, have seen them drop into their yeah. locations as well. So somebody has to walk in, slip some kind of a device over the payment apparatus that's already in place, and slip out the door. What do? And you can't. Can you see them? What do they? What are we looking for? Well, you want to look for anything that looks just slightly abnormal, right? Is it not aligned correctly? Or, uh, you know, when you're paying at a gas pump, those they have that little silver foil mm -hmm. over the machine itself. If, if that appears to be damaged at all, I'm going to tell you that's the time to go inside and, and perhaps alert them that, that perhaps there is a skimmer on that machine or that they should go take another look. And then sometimes scammers have gotten so sophisticated that they would add a little camera that you could hardly see that would see you put the PIN number in. Yeah. So all the protections that you put in place then are suddenly wiped away. Yeah, I hate that. All right. So you're visibly kind of slowing down, paying attention to what's in front of you. What are some other tips to prevent this from happening to you? Well, if you can t tap or put the card in, because that's where these skimmers have a, we have a vulnerability that mm -hmm. when we use a skimmer, it's those magnetic strips that can get us in trouble. 
But if you can use the, you know, the chip card mm -hmm. or you can tap to pay, then you're better off than if you swipe. So okay. tap. And a lot oh, of banks good. are going toward that. Um, how about the phone pay where you're just sort of holding your phone up to? Yes, like an payment. Apple yeah. Pay or a Google mm -hmm. Pay. I think there's a lot of protections there as well. Uh, you know, we urge consumers that you have more protections with a credit card than you do with a debit card. Okay. And I know we want to stay on track with spending. So oftentimes, you know, my family included, we use our debit card very regularly. Uh, but if you can even collect, check the credit box, it, it does offer you just a little bit more protection. And that's why it's so important to look at your accounts regularly yeah. to see any of those undetermined charges that, you know, you really can't figure it out. I just had one in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. Going to your bank statement, looking online for your banking, understanding. So especially like young people, if you're just kind of um, learning about this for the first time, you really do need to check and make sure that every, because it used to be a time we only used these cards when it was a bigger payment. And if it was a $5 payment or a $2 payment, you would use cash. Well, that day has long passed. So, yes, you need to go ahead and check to make sure that all those coffees that you've purchased are really your coffees that you've purchased. Absolutely, right? So, again, reconciling, right? We talked about we used to reconcile our credit or checking account on mm -hmm. a regular basis, and we still should, right, to keep good track of where our funds have gone over the last month or year. But the same is true with your credit card. You can't just assume that all those charges that drop into your account of yours or you know then it allows you to pay a little bit more attention do you have subscriptions that you aren't using anymore and mm -hmm. again it never takes uh, it's it's always worth the extra time to pay attention to where your money's going for business owners who have devices and they're looking for who is the person who's coming in and installing something what are some tips for those business owners well you know uh, businesses are getting to you know, it makes sense for them to get to more progressive point of sale systems all the time. Mm -hmm. And then oftentimes these companies will offer the system to them at no charge if they subscribe to their service and the fees that they have. So again, you want to pay attention as well. When you're not paying attention, that's when somebody can slip something over, uh, over a card reader that could be a skimmer that will skim that data that's what that stands for, right? It's just skimming all of that data off of there that they can use to steal your money. All right. Jesse Schmidt, Vice President of the South Dakota Region for the Better Business Bureau. Thank you so much for stopping by. We look forward to our next conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. That's according to a 2023 report from the Office of the U.S. Surgeon General. Well, if loneliness can shorten our lives, social connection can lengthen them. For this week's Prairie Doc Perspectives, Dr. Andrew Ellsworth writes about the power of community and how it impacts our health. Before we get into that, On Call with the Prairie Doc is a medical Q&A show, and this week's episode invites you to ask anything of a team of South Dakota doctors. I talked with Dr. Andrew Ellsworth this morning for a preview.
you have an Ask Anything episode of Prairie Doc coming up. Let uh, folks know what exactly that means. That means that whatever you're experiencing or wondering about, you've got uh, three uh, down-to-earth family docs that would love to try to try to answer it for you. How do people normally um, connect with you for those shows? Um, they can email us at ask at prairiedoc.org. They can just call us on the phone number that we provide during the show. Um, they can even go on Facebook, and we uh, stream it, and you can uh, ask a question in the comments. All right, so how do you get ready for that? <laughs> ask anything. Well, yeah. <laughs> as, as family docs, uh, we encounter all different things all day long, and, mm. and every patient is asking us random questions all day long. And so whereas uh, some, sometimes docs can say, oh, you better go see your primary care doc about that. Well, we're it. So, mm. uh, so that's, that's one reason we don't really study up for the show because it's just, well, we'll see what happens. And, you know, the beauty is, too, I don't have to know everything. Yeah. I can either look something up or tell someone I don't know or tell them that, you know, I'm going to get back to them. Right. Plus, you spent uh, how many years preparing for that show <laughs> through the education right. that you right. have and the knowledge that you've gained in practice. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about your Prairie Doc Perspective column, and most people can find that either on your Facebook page or on your website, but also often in their local newspaper throughout South Dakota. You chose to write about social connections. What, what led you to that topic? You know, what did lead me to that topic? That's a good question. I was just, you know, thinking of the things that impact our health. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we do a great job, and we talk about diet and exercise a lot and, and, and some mental health. But, you know, we are social beings, and, and we need other people um, at some point. Um, now, granted, there's extroverts and introverts, and I get it that we all kind of want our alone time, too. But I start out with John Donne's poem, No Man is an Island, and uh, we are all a part of something. And uh, we know that people's health outcomes are better if we have relationships with family and friends and and feel part of the community in which we live. That can be hard in a rural community, but can also be hard in an urban community because having people around you doesn't necessarily mean you're connected to them in the day of technology. What are some of the ways that you're seeing loneliness or disconnection show up in people's lives and in their health? Yeah, you know, you, you, you bring up um, technology and, and, and it's true. You know, there's so many times now you go somewhere and maybe you're in a city on a subway and everyone's on their phones and no one's talking. And so all these people are, are unfortunately missing out on opportunity to connect with the people around them. And, and it takes courage sometimes. It takes to talk to someone who you don't know or who's uh, different from you. But some of those can be the, the best relationships and the most helpful in any type of situation or at least just to help you get through the day mm-hmm. and just uh, talk and joke. And so um, it's, it's, Yes, I can't imagine our, my ancestors in their sod houses throughout the whole winter <laughs> hanging out all day long playing the fiddle or <laughs> whatever <laughs> and all that isolation that they felt too. But we do know that, you know, when they had a chance, they did get together with their neighbors and play cards and, and, and those things are important. How common is it for somebody to 
ask you about this or to, to tell you in a doctor's appointment that they're lonely or that they've maybe lost someone and are struggling to make those new connections, how often do you bring it up in a, a, an appointment with one of your long-term patients? Help us understand how um, a physician could help start that conversation in a patient's life. I think of changes in someone's life. Um, obviously, you brought up death, and that's, that's a prime opportunity to where that comes up, um, where we can help them through that and grief. But uh, also changes, let's say you move to a new community, and, and, and my wife and I were talking about this, and as a young mom, when we went off to residency in a new city and we didn't know anyone, and, and she had recently had a baby, and so mm. she felt a little isolated and alone some and was able to connect with a mom's group and, and, uh, and a Bible study, and that helped her feel connected to others. I think of many of my patients or even my parents as they're wrestling with retirement, and now this job that has always given them uh, people to connect with is no longer there. And they have to find new ways and new hobbies and um, ways to ways to connect, to get out in the community and to connect with others. Are there foundational practices that you can say, hey, this is how you know it's showing up in your health. This is how, you know, I'm thinking sleep might be one of the ways yeah. that maybe you're sleeping too Ab much. Or what are some of the other places where you can say, hey, if this is happening in your body or in your health, that maybe social connection is a good place to explore. Yeah, certainly, you know, signs of depression, feeling down, depressed, or hopeless, or wanting to isolate, or stay in bed all day, or not feeling motivated to get out and do something, um, or anxiety about mm. uh, getting out and, and, and all those things, too, um, which then impacts the rest of our, our health. And we know that social connection can increase your can improve your rates of heart disease and strokes and dementia and help your sleep, like you said, and let alone the risk of uh, violence or suicide or, mm. or anything. So it just, uh, it just compounds. And that's where the, and it comes back to the importance of mental health too, right? And, right? and this is just one way that we can help improve our mental health, really. Yeah. When do you, um, if someone is feeling socially anxious, you know, maybe they have a hard time coming up to somebody, um, at the grocery store to talk to or they struggle to sign up for the book club because they're nervous about how they'll be received. Just just some general social anxiety questions. When do you know you need to talk to your doctor about it? And when do you know that you just need to maybe try some new things? Like what's that line for you that says you should talk to your doctor about your anxiety? When it's keeping you from um from connecting with others when it's keeping you from from doing some of the things you know you normally would like to do and normally want to do. Mm -hmm. um, now, granted, a, a person can, can change, and maybe you don't want to do some of those things anymore, but right. people, people often know, but then they're afraid to speak out. And so, you know, it can help to have a, a primary care doc that you feel comfortable turning to or a neighbor or someone, and, and they can hopefully help spot that too and encourage you and help find someone for you to talk to, to talk through those things and find ways to help. Well, one of the things I love about this uh, column that you wrote was just the idea that it's those little things, too. It doesn't have to be an epic 
connection that you have every day. It can be smiling or holding a door or saying hello or going to that local basketball game. I think that's kind of a, a nice place to end. And you can catch On Call with the Prairie Doc on SDPB TV this Thursday, 7 p.m. Central, 6 Mountain. It also streams on the Prairie Doc Facebook page. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. John Little is Director of Native Recruitment and Alumni Engagement at the University of South Dakota. He's returning to our show with an update on USD's 50th Wachipi that is planned this spring. And today he's brought with him two student leaders who are planning the upcoming event. Anna Harlan is co-president of USD Tioshpe Student Council. Melody Scott is the secretary, and all three are gathered around the microphones on the SDPB's USD campus studios. Dr. Little, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Anna Harlan, thank you for being here as well. Thank you. And Melody Scott, welcome. Thank you. Dr. Little, I'm going to start with you to ground listeners who maybe didn't hear our previous conversation about the 50 years of the Wachipi and some of the history that you have been pulling um, from the archives to help people understand the legacy of this event. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in 1972, uh, Tioshbaya Student Council uh, started an annual Wachipi, and so that's what we're kind of here talking a little bit about. But that Wachipi has continued for, we're celebrating our 50th iteration of that in uh, uh, April. And you've been diving into the archives, photos, uh, oral history. Have you found anything new and interesting you want to highlight today? Yeah, I mean, I think the really cool thing I've been working on, uh, I, we have a ton of photos. We have 700 images, and I think I talked last time uh, about trying to get some of those identified. So I've been mm-hmm. sending those to some of the alumni that were involved in 1971 and 72, and uh, they're sending me names back and telling me stories. <laughs> and so oh, it's been really powerful uh, to, to kind of hear that. And so we're actually working on planning uh, for, as part of the Wachipi weekend, we have an alumni dinner on Friday, April 5th. And so um, we're actually trying to bring back as many of those 1971 and 72 Tioshi by Student Council members as possible. And so it's been really fun to have phone calls with them over the last week and, and hear, you know, all sorts of things going on in the 70s. Uh, and so it's, mm-hmm. it's just been really fun to kind of have that conversation with them. Yeah. Anna Harlan, let's talk a little bit about this planning because this is a monumental event. It takes a lot of behind the scenes work. How is the planning going? Yes, it, it's been a lot. Um, we are less, or we are over a month away, and we still have a lot of planning to do. But no doubt that we can, we can't get it done. So every week we are meeting as a team and just planning everything that we can. Um, yeah, and that team becomes somewhat of a community in and of itself. I'm guessing, Anna. Yes, it does. It really yeah. has been. Melody, tell me a little bit about. Um, some of the big ideas that you have as you look at particularly 50 years there's a way to do this on a, the 52nd year or the 47th year but there's a certain amount of gravitas or maybe even pressure to the 50 you know five decades of this what what stands out to you is what makes this year special um so I'm very new to this organization and I'm really like glad to be part of it and knowing that this is my first year and that it's also the 50th year makes it very special because I get to experience 
this is my first year, but then also it's such a big year for the community as well. Melody, what are you studying at USD? Uh, I'm studying legal studies. Legal studies. So this you you're busy (laughs) (laughs) and and this is is adding to your workload but is it also enriching your student experience a little bit melody tell me about that please yeah so my first year i didn't really plan on joining anything but um anna she's also my mentor and so she introduced me to this organization and i'm just very grateful to be part of this and and it yeah it definitely brings out like more of like my culture and stuff. Anna, what are you studying at USD? I'm a health sciences major and um, my minor is public health. Also very busy and (laughs) so the same question for you this you know the the time that you spent working on a cultural event matters for the community that's participating in it but it's also going to be a foundational part of your education journey. What are you learning about that as you do this planning? Yes, I've definitely learned that this is not just a, um, us planning an event, but it is us com- like um, connecting with the community, and that's what we're, our biggest goal is, to try to connect with everybody in this community and let the community know that this is not just a Native exclusive event, that this is for everyone and that everyone is welcome. When did you first, Anna, know that this event existed? Was it when you came to USD, or did you have a knowledge of it before when you decided where to go? Um, I guess it wasn't until I came here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had learned that my aunt was an alumni here, and she was also a part of Tiyoshbai back in the 80s. So my dad told me that when I was telling him about all the student organizations that I joined. Um, but it was two years ago when I was on the exec team, and I, was, I served as the treasurer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were really deciding if that if two years ago was going to be our 50th, but we, we wanted to come back strong, so we decided to, to do our 48th and 49th the last two years and to lead up to the, this year to the 50th. Yeah. Um, Dr. Little, tell me a little bit about the importance of the Tioshpe and, and connecting students culturally because they can be incredibly busy and they can be trying to plug in to multiple department departmental events, um, dorm living, uh, you know, fraternities and sorority communities. They have all these things going, but yet this is uh, so central as a community. Talk a little bit about that, if you would, for me, please. Yeah, I mean, so this the student group actually started in 57 as a Wapaha club and then shifted mm-hmm. to Tioshbai in 72. And so it's always been, that was kind of one of the key things when, when the group originally started, I think there were 12 students in it. And I think that was every native student on the University of South Dakota campus. And so mm-hmm. it's always been kind of about creating uh, creating family. And that's what Tioshbai means. It, it kind of roughly translates to extended family. And so I think it's it's a support system for them to have other, connect with other, other native students across campus that are, in, as you can see, two very different uh, academic departments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's an opportunity as that as well, but it's also, um, Anna's been, you know, mentoring um, Melody as well, too, as like a junior kind of mentoring a freshman coming in. And I think that's what it's always been about as well, too, is, is helping those students transition um, to campus as well. Help us understand uh, where this is a question for all three of you, but we'll start with you, John. And that's the, you know, Wachipi's outside of this one that you had been to throughout your life. Um, what are some of the things that you bring with you about how to be in a community, ways of being together? 
um, ways of honoring culture. What's what's in it, Wachipi, for you? Oh man, that's that's a really that's a really good question. Uh, I grew up around going going to watch EPs too. My dad was a, a singer um, and songwriter too, and so I'm um, always at a drum group. And so for me, it's just about being there, listening to the music, and, and, and enjoying the words, and, and seeing the dancing, and 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 also getting together for right. A lot of times it was my family connecting. Um, sometimes that was the only time we'd get together that month or something. So. Um, for me, it's about just connecting with a lot of different people. But I think for the USD Watch EP specifically, it's about connecting with taking all of those things and showing the USD community um, what Native people have to offer. Yeah. Anna, same question. What comes up for you? Um, this Watch EP is very significant to us. Like John was talking about the Wapaha Club, um, I actually ran into one of the oldest um, alumni who is still mm. living to this day. I happened to run into her one day and I was wearing my USD sweatshirt and that just showed me like how I represent USD um, and that was just a great way of connecting and I had no idea that I was going to meet her and <laughs> I had told John about it. John was so excited. <laughs> um, so we we're just really excited, we're really looking forward to bringing her back this year and connecting her back with, um, you know, old old um college peers yeah. and can you imagine yeah. how happy that made her to just see your sweatshirt and and meet you oh, and yes. get to talk to <laughs> get to talk to you wow. yeah she definitely was excited and yeah it, it, was, it was like i was looking back into the past um just now that i'm the co-president and she was you know part of wapaho club back in the day it was it was just like a whole connection there yeah do you get the sense that um that you're you're you know continuing that legacy but then also inventing what will happen for the next 50 years at this at this point like oh, you have sure. a, yeah you have a voice at this point about what this is going to be how do you think about that Anna for sure I like I said this is very significant for us um you know one day we we hope to look back and us be the alumni mm. and you know eventually make it to the 100th watch EP <laughs> Yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> Melody, do you have memories of Wachipi from before you came to USD that when you get here and you realize this is happening, you know, that's a touchstone for you? Yeah. So growing up, I yeah, I've been to a lot of um, Wachipis in the communities and around my reservation. So knowing that like when I go that it doesn't stop when I go when I stop my um, when I graduate high school and I enter into college, it doesn't stop. It's still keep, keep going. And yeah, like I said, this is very special for me to be here in my first year, and it's also the 50th, so yeah. I'm glad to be part of this. Are either of you um, or any of you dancers or musicians? Um, when I was, uh, I think it was in fifth grade to sixth or to seventh grade, I yeah. um, danced Fancy Shawl. Yeah. Anna? Um, I used to attend um, powwows back around when I was younger, but I was never able to participate in them. Yeah. So I think coming to USD, that really connected me back to my culture and just something to look forward to. Yeah. John, what do you hope the rest of the, you know, the faculty, the administration, the, the support staff, the, you know, people who live in a, you know, a house nearby, what do you hope is in this event for them? Yeah, I mean, I think people, I just hope people come and, and, and learn and, and watch and, and, and celebrate. I think so many times, like Anna said earlier, the perception is that this is just a Native event, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not It's not that way. 
Um, and so I think the importance is just having anyone and everyone come and, and see like that we, you know, a lot of things that we could go in in a whole no another episode about have happened mm -hmm. to Native people over the last hundred years. And then we've survived, we've carried and continued a lot of those traditions. And so I think um, it's just a really important day to, to, to show that to the Vermilion community. And so I'm just really thankful we have that opportunity to do that. So how would you explain, John, um, how to come to your first Wachipi if you've never been before, you want to do so respectfully, um, you want to participate like you've been invited to participate, where do you start? I guess for me, it's I, I, whenever I get invited into community that I'm not as familiar with, um, I try to go and I just listen and I watch and I listen. And, and when they tell me to do something, I try to, I, I try to do it the best I can. And so I think for me, it's, you know, it's, it's similar to a basketball game, right? They're actually on the SCSC, the Sanford Coyote Sports Center arena. And so there's lots of bleacher seats. You can just come in, you can sit and you can watch and you can see and learn all day. You know, it's really, I think, it's not like there's going to be an expectation that you're going to go out and all of a sudden start dancing or singing or, or doing any of those things. It's more about just seeing it and celebrating it. And so I think for anyone that's never been and, and interested, I just invite them to come check it out, walk through those doors, and then all you have to do is find a seat, basically. And so I think that's that's really all there is to it. And just be respectful. I love that. I love that you get to the point of how many Midwestern non-Native people, particularly white people, will say to me, I just don't want to be asked to dance. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, like, no, that's absolutely. That's the greatest fear for a German-Irish immigrant is that they're going to be asked to do something uh, publicly before they're ready. So you don't have to dance. Come and, Definitely. Come and participate in, in community. That's nice. I like that. <laughs> For sure. And there's also, like, you know, we'll have vendors and other things as mm -hmm. well, too. So um, lots of beautiful jewelry and, and different things like that for people to purchase as well, too. Some usually good food as well, too. So, um, yeah, lots of other things to celebrate as well or see as well. Yeah. Okay. So this event is in April. And let's just, uh, we've got maybe a minute left. Um, Anna, anything that you really want to call out to listeners that you're still looking for, people that you still want to engage in the community, details that are still coming together that you want to use this chance to say, hey, if this is you, call us? Um, I guess if you're just interested in learning about Native history or anything like that, you're welcome to attend the Wachipi. Like John said, we have all these vendors. There's just, so there's just something for everyone. So, Yeah, well, this event is April 5th through the 7th. It's on the campus of the University of South Dakota in Vermilion, we're going to put more information up on our website at sdpb.org slash news and we're kind of doing a few of these stories to get people ready and john one more time about the history is that going to be presented to people some of those those photos how are you acknowledging some alumni just very quickly at like 30 seconds yeah, so the goal is uh, eventually to get all of those photos, the 700 images digitized and into the South Dakota like historical archives. And so there'll be public access, but we're trying to identify everyone before that. Um, and so that's like, kind of an ongoing longer project that will probably go beyond April. But on yeah. April, Friday, April 5th, we'll be actually celebrating and honoring all of the returning alumni for that as well, too. And we'll do that on Saturday and Sunday as well, too, at the Wachipi. All right. We will check in with you in March for another update. But Dr. John Little, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Anna Harlan, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. And Melody Scott, thanks as well. Thank you. Nice to meet all of you. You're listening to In the Moment on SDPD. I'm Lori Walsh. For this week's Teacher Talk Conversation, high school teacher Gina Benz asked her students what they love. That is, what they love about school. And yes, she got some eye rolls and some light groaning, 
but she also got a few answers. I spoke with her and Jackie Wilbur about the students' responses. Now, Gina teaches at Roosevelt High School in Sioux Falls. She teaches Teacher Pathway. She's also a recipient of the Milken Educator Award. And Jackie is director of the Center for Student and Professional Services in the School of Education at the University of South Dakota in Vermilion. Here's our conversation. This week's topic is from Gina Benz, which is what my students love about school. Yeah, <laughs> it was Valentine's Day. Yeah. And I like to start with an opening question in class because once students say one thing, they're more likely to say more things. And mm -hmm. I like talk and chatter and discussion in my classroom. So it was Valentine's Day. And I thought, well, I could ask about Valentine's Day memories. I could, mm -hmm. I don't know, a lot of different things. But as a teacher, you have to be sensitive to some of these holiday right, things. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a high school teacher. Somebody could have just gone through a rough breakup. Uh, some kids don't have many Valentine's Day memories. So, so I just thought, well, this one's safe. What do you love about school? They groaned. They moaned. <laughs> they said, the final bell. Yeah. But... The final then bell. we got down to it and they had some really great insights. All right. So I want to, before we move on to this, Jackie, jump in and tell me what a good classroom conversation starter to help to get to know the kids. But like Gina said, where are those parameters for getting to know too much about them or asking them to reveal too much in the classroom where they might be, you know, it might not be an appropriate setting for them to share everything that's on their heart. Yeah, boundaries are such a, a good topic to have as you're learning to become a teacher. It's one of the things we talk about in teacher preparation with our students at the University of South Dakota. And it's really important to establish strong relationships with students. And it's also important to know what that relationship is, which is a teacher-student relationship. Yeah. Um, it's also important for students to develop a relationship with their peers in the class. And that's something that Gina is obviously fostering in her class. And it's really important to be able to do. Um, and it's a very much a case-by-case -case basis. And I think really strong teachers do what Gina did, which is that kind of internal dialogue of, okay, I want to ask about this. And then here are some ways that I might kind of accidentally step in it. And so how can I curb that? So that way I, I'm staying in a, a pretty safe zone. Um, but I also think having some parameters around that you're not required to share anything you don't want to share. And then also reminding students about what your role is. So if you do share certain things, certain things have to get reported or passed on to other people so that everyone stays safe. And I think once those kinds of things are established, then you do get to have fun conversations like Gina led about, you know, what's your, what do you love about school? What do you love about school? Gina, what are some of the things once they got beyond, ooh, the final bell? <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the first ones to come up was loving routine. Mm. And the student who brought this up first said, you know, in the summer, I, I work all summer. And I guess there's some routine to that. But there's nothing like the routine of school that keeps me motivated, keeps me on track, keeps, keeps me accomplishing things. And there's research out there, too, that says routine is so important for that reason, because it it keeps us from procrastination. Mm. It gives us something to find. Uh, um, it gives us goals. Yeah. I hate structure. I hate routine. <laughs> oh. But I need it. But I yeah. need it. So when you acknowledge that you need it, you can enjoy it when you don't have it. And you can just say, hey, this is the time where I am just doing whatever I want. But I know on the day-to-day -day basis, which is why I like having a, day a daily show. 
you know, too, a routine uh, keeps you from having to think, to waste a lot of mental energy, right. I would say. Because, Very efficient. Yeah. yeah, it's efficient. You just can go on autopilot and get your stuff done. Yeah. So, Jackie, do teachers, they benefit from that. When we're talking about people who might want to be teachers, you're also mm -hmm. going to benefit from the routine that you establish for your kids. You're also establishing it for yourself. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the things we talk about establishing one's own routine um, to kind of stay mentally, physically and emotionally fit for the for the profession. Mm -hmm. But also it's one of the things our students have reported <coughs> that they value about that year long teacher residency. Um, when we first moved to that model in 2010, we had it slightly different where students were coming back to campus more frequently and were not in their placement out in the K through 12 setting as often and based on both the K through 12 mentor teacher feedback and our student feedback, we move that to once a month because they valued the routine of being in their school so much that we we took that feedback so we weren't disrupting their routine. Mm. At grounding, just mm -hmm. turning around, you know, touching the ground, putting your feet on the ground, that's a good thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gina, they also loved growth. I loved it when a student talked about this and yeah. then several <laughs> chimed in and said, yeah, um, so the growth is they think about where they started at the beginning of the year and then reflect on where they are at the current moment or at the end of the year. And there is a sense of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. uh, they know more. They uh, know more not just academically, but socially, emotionally. There's so much growth that happens in school. And when you're in the thick of it, it might be hard to see. It might be frustrating um, because growing can be Mm -hmm. Well, we call it growing pains, right? Mm -hmm. But once you've done it, and the beautiful part about school is that there's a clear beginning and a clear ending. Once you've done it, that you just feel like you have purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Some kids want to, and some adults, maybe the adult whose voice you hear right now, I have a tendency to fall into, I don't like the growth. I don't like looking back to see that I was really crummy. At one point, I kind of have this weird expectation that I'm supposed to hatch out of the egg perfectly <laughs> and know how to do everything. You know, I don't mm -hmm. know if that's perfectionism or if that's just there's an embarrassment in growth. There's a vulnerability in it. Mm -hmm. I go back and listen to some of my first interviews on this show, and they're so, you know, they're cringy. Sure. Like, oh, my gosh, what was I doing with my voice at that moment? Jackie, how do you help students learn to maximize growth by accepting it? Wow, I really relate to what you're saying. I think it's one of my biggest blocks to writing is I hate mm. going back and seeing old writing. So just as a personal yeah. aside there. Um, but I think that students are better about that than we are as adults, that they appreciate the growth more. They know that developmentally it's the time in their life that that is appropriate to be doing. Mm. And I would also say that in talking to the students at the University of South Dakota, it is one of the top things that they report that they love about becoming a future teacher is seeing student growth. They all talk about things like that aha moment in a student's eye and how rewarding that is for them as a future teacher to watch a student get it or to watch a student evolve and grow. And it's one of the benefits I think of our year-long residency is they really get to see the evolution that Gina's students are talking about that they see in themselves. It's so powerful to see that in a young person and someone else. And I think one of the most rewarding parts of the profession if you if you get this if you get this growth mindset and if you're <clears throat> new to these conversations go back to the teacher talk companion blog and find that really great post about growth mindset and grit i just that's one of my favorite foundational posts in this series 
mm-hmm. if you can get that, Gina, then you can apply it to anything. 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 I, I have to establish a growth mindset as a 46-year-old professional. Yeah. Right? We got a whole new computer system. Well, <laughs> learning management system. I love, and I love Gina's technology. I got a new <laughs> system. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there were growing pains. Yeah. But you know what? I, I don't know if it's the most popular opinion at the moment, but I think it'll be a common opinion pretty soon. I love the new learning management system now. Yeah. I've, I've figured it out. I dug in and grew. How do you let students grow? Because you see, Gina, you see where they're at. Do you, you ha- you're such a patient teacher. I am. It has to yeah. come naturally she to is. you. Sometimes too patient, perhaps. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that can be a thing, too. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like I'm in good hands if I'm learning something new with you. Yeah, uh, you have to be comfortable with what we call productive struggle. Mm. You have to find that sweet spot where they are struggling enough to grow, but not so much that they, they can't. Yeah. And they give up. Maybe you just Gina, don't always want to see someone point out that you've grown. When somebody mm. looks at you, Jackie, and just says, oh, remember three months ago oh, when you couldn't do this yeah. at all? Yeah. That always, I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. But I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm a grown-up, so <laughs> maybe no, when I was I totally five. No, I totally get yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I totally get that. You know, Gina and I talk a lot about teaching being like being a gardener. Yeah. And so that's helpful to me thinking about, like, it's not like a flower's not in a, a good state before it hasn't bloomed it still has cool things going on you know yeah. it just eventually becomes a full flower you know this is that i think we've talked about this before but i dislike these instagram posts so much that i'm going to bring it up again and that's the dad who posts like texts from his kids his adult mm-hmm. kids his kids in college about the silly things that they asked him and truthfully some of them yeah. are, are hilarious mm-hmm. but i always <laughs> want to say what did you expect a 20 year old trying to figure out health insurance to ask you. Yes. You expected right. them to know that? Like, this is the most complicated thing ever. So when they sit down, they say, Mom, do I have any pre-existing conditions? Like, that is the first time they've seen that phrase. So right. you're gonna, that's your job. You're still helping them learn how to do it. And that is expected of a 20-year-old. Yes, parents are the first teacher and yeah. probably the most important teacher. <laughs> the forever teacher. <laughs> the if forever you're, if teacher. you're good at it, you're the forever teacher. Yeah. All right, yeah. relationships. Gina, well, this is, yeah, yeah, no surprise, right? Friends. We're here to see our friends. Yeah, absolutely. You know. And that's a good, good thing to uh, have a sense of belonging, a sense of community, and uh, to enjoy a learning experience together. And uh, I think, too, that <clears throat> it, school can also provide an opportunity to diversify your friendships mm. and meet some different people, uh, see that the world functions in many different ways and people do life in many different ways this is how not having friends or losing a friendship or a breakup or um, a friend who's out sick or pandemic Mm -hmm. (laughs) that can also i mean this is a big love it is also a big loss if you don't have it jackie how do you help teachers understand how to lead a classroom in the midst of all this human connection and struggle and drama because there's always somebody who maybe doesn't have a friend Mm -hmm. oh I think that the folks who are going into this profession are more acutely aware of that than maybe any 
generation before because they did mm. go to school during COVID-19. So they have this acute awareness of what it was like to be without relationships in a very unique and specific and challenging time in the United States, in world history. Right. And so um, I think they're, they're very tuned into that. Um, and then I also, I had to remind myself a lot, this a lot when I taught middle school, which was that that's the most, especially during those middle school years, that's the most important thing in a middle schooler's life is relationships. It comes mm -hmm. before everything else. And so they, they don't learn as many mathematical equations or as, you know, don't diagram sentences as much because they're more focused on their relationships and that's developmentally appropriate. So reminding yourself that when you're a teacher that that's where their focus is and that's okay, I think is very helpful. Gina, how do you help high school students learn how to make friends, how to handle conflict? Is that through literature in your class? Oh goodness, yeah. That's that's the joy of being an English teacher. It's yeah. about the human condition. Yeah. And it's it's discussing the human condition, reading. Um, it, we talk about windows and mirrors. Sometimes a book is a mirror so you can see yourself in it, better understand yourself, feel like you're not alone. Sometimes a book is a window. You get to peek in on someone else's life and mm. walk in someone else's shoes. But you have to be intentional about teaching about friendships. This doesn't come naturally. Parents and teachers have to intentionally say things like, Okay, let me give an example. When my students talk in their small groups, first of all, I'm very intentional about the small groups that they're in because I want them to feel a sense of belonging within my classroom by being part of a small group. And then uh, sometimes I have to say, in your small group, you need to turn your shoulders so all of you are facing each other. Mm. So you teach these things. Um, also, you know, sometimes there's breakups and it's an important time Yes, to feel sad, but also to reflect on the relationship and say, what what did I like about this relationship? What didn't I like? What would I do differently in the future? If you help kids be reflective, that's that's powerful. Mm. That that growth and learning how to have those relationships that's a huge advantage of school, Jackie. How does a new teacher make friends? How do you mm. find if it's your if you're a first year teacher, how are you making friends? in a new school when all the teachers there seem like they've already got a BFA and it's a really great, you know, dynamic and you think I'm never going to fit in to this. How do you make friends as a new teacher? Yeah, um, I have been very fortunate that everywhere I've gone, the teachers have been quite welcoming. And so I'm grateful for that. I did hear a new teacher talking about this the other day, and she said, buy a coffee for the person you want to be friends with. And that was her advice, like bring them <laughs> a coffee in the morning. Um, and I think that a coffee or a little morning treat or just popping by in the morning to say hello can go a long way. Teachers are also pretty social, like particularly after parent-teacher conferences or kind of things where the whole school's getting together an in-service day, so it's easy to go grab lunch or hang out afterwards for a little bit. Um, but teachers are pretty social. I wouldn't say that I don't want to categorize everyone, but a yeah. fairly social group. They like to hang out together, so you get invited. Nice. All right. The last one on the list of why my students love about well, what what my students love about school is those activities. Gina Benz, it's the it's the what. Yeah, and I wasn't surprised about that one yeah. either. I thought that was kind of a, a gimme one. This, first of all, I want to emphasize is at all grade levels, mm -hmm. right? So there's chess club at our elementary schools. Uh, there's also, you know, activities that may not be uh, promoted or 
uh, funded by the school, but still sure. you're with, there with your school friends, right? And then, of course, at high school, it just, I don't know what better word, what word to use except for explodes, but <laughs> <laughs> blossoms. It's blossoms. Grows. Yeah. Uh, so anyhow. Opportunities at, abundant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here students mm -hmm. find their talents. They find a sense of community. They make themselves part um, of something greater than themselves. You can find the Teacher Talk companion blog on our website, sdpb.org slash teachertalk. That is our show for today. We hope that it served you on the next In the Moment. State legislators push forward for crossover day. That is the deadline for bills to move from one legislative body to the next. Not every bill can make it to the other side. We'll get an update from Republican and Democratic leadership about the priorities that launch legislation. A note to listeners, the new SDPB podcast, Short Walk, is now available. It's a nine-episode series that chronicles the political saga of former South Dakota Attorney General Jason Roundsburg. It's produced by our own public policy and politics reporter, Lee Strubinger. You can get it wherever you find your podcasts or at sdpb.org, short walk. From all of us at SDPB, I'm Lori Walsh. Thank you for listening.